Hello, everyone, and welcome to Walking with the Tengu, a podcast exploring classic texts for the modern martial artist. Today, we are returning to the work of Isai Chozanchi, the pen name of the author of the work that inspired the name of this podcast, the Tengu's Sermon on the Martial Arts. This is another short parable or story from Isai Chozanchi's Inaka Soshi. Sometimes this is translated as the Hayseed Taoist. The title of this story might be The Toad's Way of the Gods, or maybe The Toad's Method of Prayer. I'm going to retell the story in my own words, in an attempt to make it more relatable. So just be aware that this isn't a direct word-for-word translation. As always, I am indebted to William Scott Wilson's translation for keeping me on track and helping me understand nuances that would otherwise be lost on me. So, on to the story. Once upon a time, there was this guy named Bokusai, and he heard about a shrine off in some unnamed province. So, he went to visit it. That's basically how Jozanshi starts this story off. As long as he's being sparse on details about everything else, I have to wonder why he gives us the name of the guy going to the shrine. Doubly so, because Bokusai isn't mentioned again, not once, in the rest of the story. I could have probably left this whole part out, but here we are. I guess we're supposed to imagine him observing the conversation that makes up the bulk of the story. Kind of like the warrior in the Tengu's Sermon on the Martial Arts, who dreams he's eavesdropping on some post-training talks between Tengu. Anyway, so this guy, Boksai, travels to a shrine and sees a dirty old man praying fervently before the shrine. If it's at all like visiting a shrine in Japan today, then he's probably donated some coins into the offering box in front of the shrine, rang some jangly bells to get the deity's attention, and performed some claps and bows, again to get the deity's attention. Wouldn't want to waste all that praying without first making sure the spirits were good and well awake. Might catch them while they're napping, you know. Since he's described as being pretty serious about his praying, this old man, maybe he's being louder than the usual petitioner, praying longer or possibly even prostrating himself to show how serious he is. He's described as jabbering on in a squeaky kind of voice. As all this is going on, an ugly old man in a brown robe comes out and speaks to the dirty old man, telling him that he can see by the strange look in the man's eyes that the dirty man wants something very much. The dirty old man, a bit taken aback at this, reveals that he's actually an old rat. In Japanese folklore, there's a lot of things that can acquire a kind of spiritual power and sentience for existing or living for a long time. Some of these were animals, like rats, cats, snakes, and so on. And some were inanimate objects, like umbrellas, bowls, and pillows. This must be one of those rats who has become a kind of yokai, a spiritual entity of short sorts. Similar in category as the Tengu that gave this podcast its name. The old rat begins to go on and on about all his admirable traits. How he's quick and agile and can go anywhere he wants. He's got these amazing teeth 
that can chew through anything, so he can go anywhere and eat anything he wants. He's really selling how great he is. Yet, so sad, cue the tiny violins, he has a problem. Cats. He says that the cats cause him an incredible amount of harm, and so he's praying that the gods and Buddhas would kick all the cats of the world to death all at the same time. Wow, dude. Harsh. Continuing, he says that cats have absolutely no value of any kind. The cat then proceeds to list off all the things he perceives as being the faults of cats. They're cruel. They steal people's fish that have been placed on the dinner table. Cats kill people's treasured pet birds. They leave their poop around the sunken hearth. I assume because it was sandy and gravelly there. And after all that, at the very end, they turn into a nekomata. <gasps> now, while folklore isn't really the point of this podcast, it was instrumental in the work that gave the podcast its name, as a playful way of relating serious ideas in a way that didn't get too pretentious. So let's take a moment and look at what a nekomata is and why Chozanshi would have written this as an example of why cats are awful, at least in the mind of the rat. Nekomata are a kind of cat yokai described in Japanese folklore. There are two types, those that live in the mountains and domestic cats that have grown old and transformed into yokai. Nekomata are often confused with bake neko, another kind of supernatural cat entity. As with a lot of folklore, it's not always clear what the differences are, but if you ever find yourself faced with a cat yokai, the biggest difference is that the Nekomata has two tails, while the Bake Neko has only one. I hope that comes in handy for you. If you want to learn more about Nekomata, or any of the other interesting yokai and folklore that comes from Japan, check out the Uncanny Japan podcast episode number 97, where the host, Teresa Matsura, gives us a good overview. I've included a link in the show notes. If I was imagining the details of this scene at a shrine with a whiny rat spirit. Who knows, the mountain nekomata he had in mind might have had dealings with the Tengu. After all, both were known for doing mischievous and troubled things, so, you know, birds of a feather, or something like that. There's also all this stuff about them being associated with death, necromancy, and making your dead relatives' corpses dance. There is some sense that if the cat was abused, it has more power as a nekomata, so maybe there's a bit of the vengeful spirit thing going on here too. Either way, maybe we can see why Chozanshi had his whining rat list turning into a nekomata as one of the worst negative traits of cats. The rat concludes his complaints list with, So it causes many disasters and has no benefits. My prayer is not a petition of greed, it is a request for the avoidance of physical harm. The rat thinks that because his prayer is for safety, and ostensibly not for self-gratification, it should be granted. Let's be honest, you've probably heard someone whine like this before. I'm so great, they're so bad, so this is justification for all the bad stuff I wish on them. The ugly old man then reveals that he is actually a toad, ooh, plot thickens, who has no desires and causes no harm to anyone. It doesn't matter if he's ugly or if he doesn't eat fancy food or live in a fancy place because he is content with what he has. 
Why then should he pray for anything? The toad agrees that since the cat causes him injury, he can understand why the rat would not like the cat, but encourages him to self-reflect for a moment. Due to the harm that the rat causes to people, it is only natural that they should keep cats as a defense against the rat. It's not that people like cats so much. It's that they hate the rat even more, he says. You know that there's nothing valuable about a cat being in the world, but don't know that you're a detriment to society at large. The minds of men of small caliber are all just like this. The toad certainly has a harsh honesty. I don't know if people were less into keeping pets back then. Probably. I mean, cats have been a welcome addition to farms all over the world for their pest control characteristics, but given how many negative superstitions there have been across many different cultures, there was a certain mixed relationship with them across history. The toad suggests that the rat consider his behavior and why people are driven to dislike him so much that they would bring cats into their homes just to ward him off. Rather than praying to the gods for something impossible because of his hate, the toad recommends the rat stop harassing people, and that then they would have no more need of cats. He says, Men do not behave themselves prudently. They blame others, and then pray to the gods, and beseech the Buddhas for things that they themselves are not equal to. This is what men of little caliber always do. Listen, the gods do not accept improprieties. Men think that no matter what they pray to the gods for, it will be granted, whether good, evil, correct, or perverse. Men's minds are asinine. Instead, the toad suggests the rat start with two things. First, he should purge himself of selfish desires and distracting ideas. The toad calls this inner purity. Second, the toad says the rat should bathe, wash his face, change his clothes, avoid eating unclean things in the Shinto Buddhist sense, and in doing all this purify his body. The toad calls this outer purity. We see this kind of centering, cleansing practice across numerous religions. Put the mundane in order if you wish to approach the spiritual. To be fulfilled, I'm sorry, to be filled with the perverse and selfishness and then to pray for bad things is to, in the words of the toad, block the road and then expect someone to arrive. Trying to bargain for the prayer to be fulfilled or to get people better than oneself to pray for them is even worse, according to the toad. He says, how is the deity deity going to receive such a man's despicable mind? Congratulate his desire and fulfill his request? To illustrate this, the toad finishes with a story about the governor of a province who was approached by a merchant. The merchant asked to be declared the only person allowed to supply salt within the province. For this economic monopoly, the merchant offered to give the governor 500 silver coins. Thankfully, the governor was a man of honor and recognized that if he did this, though he'd be richer for it, his people would suffer under the high prices of the greedy merchant, who would only become richer himself through exploitation. Interesting that this idea of morality in the free market can be found in a text from this time period. But anyways, the Toad's point, it is difficult to employ an honest person in today's world 
to fulfill one's own selfishness, so much more so the divine. Why should we be helped in our perversity made by our own selfishness? Just as the governor would have been wrong to fulfill the merchant's self-serving request, so too would the deity be wrong to fulfill the rat's selfish prayer. The way I interpret this story is that there are three main points. First, the rat causes his own problems and brings the cat on himself. What problems in our lives that we blame others for are really a result of our own choices. The irony about this is that it is always easier to see this problem in others than it is in ourselves. This is why I would encourage all of us to spend some time in consideration, perhaps even in meditation, thinking about what problems we have in our life that we ultimately inflict on ourselves. Are you having problems with people at your martial arts school? It's easy to see the flaws in others, but what could we be doing ourselves to encourage better relationships? Which brings us to the second point. There is a right way to approach prayer. Perhaps put another way, requests or desires. Now, you might be thinking that this is the point with the least relevance to the modern martial artist, but I disagree, and I suspect Chersanshi does too, but we'll get to that in a moment. Chersanshi's main point about internal attitudes toward prayer is that you have to put your desires in order. If you seek change, are you doing it for selfish reasons? For much of human history, the boundary between the spiritual and, well, life wasn't perceived as divided as it is today. So when reading classical works, it's important to not let this modern division cloud your reading of classics. Wrestling has a spiritual component all across the world. On one side of the world, the Greeks performed various athletic and combative competitions, including wrestling, in the original Olympics as a sacrifice to the gods. On the other side of the world, sumo, still today, is preceded by Shinto ritual purification, and the space where the grappling occurs is considered sacred. There are plenty of others, such as Mongolian Bach, who still bear the echoes of grappling with a spiritual component, at least in attitude. The principle of approaching the divine with right intentions is perhaps a universal principle. We need to approach all conflicts with quote-unquote right intentions, or we risk making things worse. Likewise, I would say that, much like the merchant approaching the governor at the end of the story, the same principle applies to how we approach our instructors and our art. So you see, Chosanshi is giving us the answer before his final example. Which brings us to the third point, which is really an extension of the second. Don't seek benefits for yourself at the expense of others. If you approach your teacher with only your own benefit in mind like the merchant who offered a small sum with the intent of milking the governor's province for all it's worth, your instructor, if they are any good, will see right through you. The social power dynamics in a school can mean the difference between the survival of a training group or its inglorious implosion. If cliques or groups within groups are allowed to form and persist in a school, it can often result in the group ultimately splitting as the outsiders and insiders find themselves at odds. I've always thought a sign of a healthy school was a lack of cliques or insider groups, which is kind of funny when you think about it, because a lot of training groups are kind of like cliques themselves to the outsider who doesn't train with them, 
yet. However, if we're focusing in on Chozanshi's point about the merchant, the governor, and the lure of a salt monopoly for selfish gain, if the governor had allowed the salt merchant a monopoly, both would have been richer for it. But the people in the province would have suffered. Likewise, if a student, school, or teacher makes choices out of selfishness or greed, the group as a whole suffers. The cure or defense against this is what Chozanshi has already told us to do when it comes to approaching prayer. Cleanse your inner and outer parts. Get your mind, emotions, and desires in order. This would be the inner purification. Take the time to reevaluate and reinvigorate your physical training. This would be the outer purification. Then approach the issue of change. Like the old frog who doesn't make himself a nuisance to people, who doesn't have much to pray about, he lives his life aligned with the circumstances he finds himself in and goes with the flow. A very Taoist idea if there ever was one. Taking it a step further, we could even extrapolate it into general life, possibly with personal relationships, business relationships, de-escalation and combative awareness. How we interact with others can have a big impact on whether a conflict situation escalates or de-escalates. Like the rat and the cat, if a person makes a problem of himself, he will eventually attract the attention of those that get tired of him. If we constantly find ourselves in conflict with others, it is easy to always be mad at other people. But as the toad suggests, if the only common factor in a problem is yourself, perhaps it is time to do some introspection and consider if there is something you are doing that is causing this reaction in so many other people. Likewise, if we expect good things to come our way, to reap a good harvest, we must sow good seed. If we go about life sowing bad seed, that is, causing trouble for others, even unknowingly, we will inevitably find that these things come back to us, even to cause us even more trouble later. Put another way, if you're always getting a bad harvest, maybe you're sowing bad seed. It is better instead to be sure that our actions are not motivated out of selfishness or anger, was there something else we could have done? Was there something we should not have been doing, like with the rat? If he had not been chewing through people's walls and eating all their food, these same people would never have needed to get a cat who has caused the rat so much hardship. As suggested by Chosanchi through the toad, spend some time purifying both your inner and outer self and try approaching your problems again. It's entirely possible it's, it is your own perception and mind that clouds your vision and prevents you from solving your problem. Facing your challenges with a clear mindset and introspective intent will allow you to discern where you might be a little too much like the whiny rat and discern how you can take steps to be more like the content old frog. Spend some time thinking on this. And remember to not just talk about your philosophy but like your martial art, live it. That's all for today. Please help the podcast out by sharing and telling people about it. The best way you can help us is just by letting people know that it's out there and what it's got you thinking about. Thank you for listening and talk to you again soon.